Hey, good morning and welcome to uh, North Point's online campus, uh, Digital North Point. We're glad you're here this morning. Uh, I just want to let you know that uh, all the lyrics for this morning's songs are in the app, so hopefully you have the app. Now would be a great time to pull that out, and we're going to sing together. So here we go. Kumbaya, my lord. Kumbaya. In the back. Come on, everybody. Whoa, whoa, Chris, we'll take it from here. Let's worship together. Unstoppable God, 
There are some words in scripture that have an incredibly rich meaning when you look at them in their original language. Baptize or baptism is one of those words. We understand in English what baptism means, but it depends a lot on what your context is. If you come from a Roman Catholic background, baptism, that brings it one kind of picture to your mind, maybe a different kind of picture for somebody who comes from a Methodist background or a Baptist background or whatever. But when you look in the original language, the word baptize means immerse. It carries with it the, the, this meaning that uh, something is completely submerged in water that it's washed over completely, um, and, and uh, that it's fully immersed. The reason that that meaning makes a difference is because when you read what Paul wrote in Romans 6, all of a sudden the picture is much clearer. Paul says, what should we say? Should we continue to sin so that grace, can, so that God's grace can increase? No, that doesn't make any sense at all. We, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Our lives have changed. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, who were immersed, submerged into Christ Jesus, were immersed, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. The picture is that when we're baptized, the, in the original language, the picture is that we're fully immersed in Jesus and that our old person dies and that when we come up out of the water, out of that, that symbolic water, that all of a sudden there's a new person in us. We talk about um, publicly declaring our faith in Jesus and baptism is that sign that, that connects us to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Today, we get to celebrate a baptism together. What a cool thing. So, Kyla, um, I've known you since seventh grade, so two and a half years now. Um, I know you pretty well. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So, I am a freshman in high school, and I'm going to be a sophomore this year, so that's going to be pretty exciting. Um, I have been a Christian my whole life, been raised in a church. And so I'm doing the baptism because I believe that this is my next step in my life. And I'm just so excited and I'm so glad to know you personally. You have just been a great influence in my life for that. And I'm just glad that it came to this one. Very cool. Well, thank you. I'm so honored to be here with you. I'm excited for you to go all in for Christ. Hello. Do you know the Lord Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
fly like the air. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new now, life begins with you. It's your chains I'm a prisoner no more my shame was a ransom he faithfully he canceled my debt and he called me his friend when death was arrested and my life began oh oh your grace so on a criminal's cross darkness rejoices oh heaven and but then Jesus arose with our freedom in hell that's when death was arrested in my life
what an incredible thing it is to worship together. I, I know you're in your living room or wherever it is that you are, and we're in different places, but we're worshiping together because we worship the living God. He's with us wherever we are. What an incredible thing. One of these days, one of these days, we're going to be able to be together again in the facility at North Point. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to be able to sing together again and to see each other and to wave and to say hi and uh, to experience God's presence through each other? That's, that's going to be incredible. Um, but it's because the God that we serve, it's because of who he is that we can worship. I want to encourage you to worship in a, in a very tangible way right now. And that's through, through giving a gift, a financial gift to North Point. Um, it may be that you're set up to do that regularly. If so, just take a moment right now and, um, and thank God that you have the ability to do that and that God has blessed you so much. If you've never done that before, the easiest way to do it is to just take out your phone and to send a text. Um, text to the number 77977. And, uh, and then put in the message NCC Give, like North Point Community Church Give, NCC Give to 77977. And it will take you through just some very easy steps to be able to give electronically that way. You can also do that through the website. Uh, there's a spot on the website that you can give electronically. Or if you'd like to just mail a check into the church, that would be great as well. Today, we're actually doing two offerings. And so uh, if you're set up to give regularly, um, consistently, electronically, um, you might want to get on and give to the Benevolence Fund right now. There's a tab. Again, if you text 77977 um, and, when it, and uh, put NCC Give, when you go through that process, there'll be an option where it says General Fund or for Benevolence, and you can give to the Benevolence Fund that way. Um, that benevolence fund is used to help meet the needs of people here in our area who are struggling. Um, and there's a lot right now. People who have lost jobs, people who are struggling, people who aren't sure exactly how they're going to make it through. And your gift is going to help do that. Uh, just a, a quick story. There's a, there's a, a guy at North Point who uh, works with homeless people. He's a counselor. And uh, one of the ladies that he counseled only had just actually two sets of clothing and she needed some clothes. At the same time, a family from North Point uh, had gotten their stimulus check and they sent a, a message to the office and said, hey, we got this check and we don't really need it. We're both working. Everything's fine. Is there a way that we could use this to help, um, some, help meet some needs? That family was able to buy clothing for this woman who's homeless um, in an incredible expression of God's love for her. What a cool thing. That's what, that's what the Benevolence Fund is all about. We hope that you'll give to that generously and trust that God is going to um, have us in a place that we can meet the needs of many, many families here in our area at this time of crisis. Hey, while you're doing that, um, uh, if you've got your phone out, be sure and open the North Point app if you haven't done that already. And go down to about the third tab that says Let's Connect. Click on that. And if you'd put your name, uh, your information, your email uh, in there, that will help us tremendously. And, um, and if you've got, if you need more information, if you want to help out in some way, you can mark that down. If you sense God calling you, if, if you're making a decision to follow Jesus, maybe for the first time or a recommitment, there's a spot where you can mark that as well. We would love to help you take those steps. Hey, uh, there, there's an uh, incredible opportunity next Tuesday or this coming Tuesday, actually, uh, that I told you about last week. It's through the Global Leadership Summit. 
it's, a, it's for a webinar that's called Facing Fear in Uncertain Times, and it's great, great stuff. Uh, if, you, if you have the app open and go to the announcements, there's a link there that you can register for that. It, that happens uh, this Tuesday. If you can't get on at, uh, at 1130 when it happens on Tuesday, you can actually watch it anytime in the next few days after that. And, uh, and I hope that you'll take advantage of it. Great, great stuff there. The Global Leadership Summit is a leadership training event that we're hosting at North Point this year. And uh, that will happen later in the summer. We'll talk more about that later. I am just very excited to, uh, to see what God has in store for us as we continue through this power series, uh, as Jake shares with us today. My old cell phone was junk. Like you've had a broken cell phone before. You know how frustrating that can be. And on this particular phone, it would reflect the top half of my screen onto the bottom. So I was seeing double of everything. When I would scroll through my contacts, it would just always get stuck. So I'm constantly just stuck looking at the contact information for my dentist all the time. And my battery life was terrible. No matter how little I used my phone, my phone would die within like three hours and it drove me nuts. And I did this for like nine months, continuing to use this broken cell phone until my wife got tired of my complaining and pushed me out the door to go get a new phone. And so when I finally did, guys, I fell in love with my new phone. It is so awesome. I don't have any of the problems that I used to have. Yeah, I can still make calls on it like my old phone. I can still watch Hulu on it like my old phone. There's tons of pictures of my daughter on it like my old phone. I ignore work emails on it like my old phone. But the truth is, this is not like my old phone. The picture is so clear. It goes seamlessly between apps. It is so much easier to use. Why? Because it's a brand new phone. It doesn't have the problems that my broken phone did. It is brand new. We love new things, right? There's something about getting something new that is just awesome. Whether it's, it's something new you've never had before or replacing something that was broken before, it makes you feel good inside. It makes you want to use it more. It makes you want to share it more and show it off more. We like new things. See, we're rolling through this powered series together, which is a study here on the book of Ephesians. And we see from our time looking through Ephesians that there is a power that comes from God when we are connected to him through Jesus. That there's a power in being a part of the community of the church. That there's power in knowing Jesus. That there is power in being chosen by God. If you've missed any of this series for the past few weeks, man, I want to highly encourage you. Use the app. Use uh, YouTube or Facebook or the website. Go back and check out some of these uh, series that we started this whole thing online together. Man, jump into this. There are so many good things that are going to be well worth it. Way better than watching uh, The Office or Tiger King for the hundredth time. Like You want to make sure to catch some of this stuff. And today we're going to jump into uh, Ephesians chapter 4, kind of the end of Ephesians chapter 4, and really uh, the first half of Ephesians chapter 5 today. And we know that Paul is writing to the church 
in the city of Ephesus. And this was a main hub city in the first century Roman Empire. And he is pointing out a few different ways that as, that as Christ followers or disciples of Jesus, that we are given some new things together. And I think he really highlights kind of, kind of three different segments of new in our life. And so this very first one we're going to jump into is Paul tells us about a new you. A new you. So you'll see this in uh, Ephesians 4, verse 17. It says this. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of, of impurity. See, I think Paul is saying here, he's calling us out saying, hey, look, Christ follower. Hey, look, disciple. Like, you are not like everybody else. You're just not like the rest of the world anymore. The, the truth is, most of the world just doesn't get it. Not because they're dumb. Like, there are very smart and very rational people in the world. None of them are on social media, but they in fact do exist. And so he's saying, hey, you are not like the rest of the world. None of the world gets it, not because they're dumb, but rather because they've refused to know the truth. That is Jesus. They've refused to know Jesus or simply because they want things to go their way. And that doesn't line up with this idea that really God is in control. He goes on in verse 20. He says, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. In other words, man, you are not like everybody else because you know the truth that is Jesus. Paul goes on to show that knowing this kind of, this truth, that knowing Jesus, man, it changes everything because it makes a new you. This is verse 22. He says, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is saying, look, you are not that guy anymore. Like whoever it was that you were before you knew Jesus, whatever that was like for you, like you are not that guy anymore. You are a new version of yourself. See, fellas, uh, I'm willing to guess that your wife or your girlfriend or your sister or mom, some special lady in your life, has gone through this period of obsession with a TV show called Fixer Upper, right? Like, she's probably in the room giggling right now, or you're just kind of nodding along like, yes, I know this show I don't want to hear about this show anymore, right? But there's been this time where there, this fixer-upper has been a staple maybe in your home. And if she's in the room, she, she's kind of experiencing that, maybe still giggling. And it's okay. Like a lot of people have suffered from uh, what I like to call magnolia-itis at some point in time. Uh, and it's all right. But if you've never seen this show, what they do is their whole tagline is they take uh, the worst house, the fixer-upper, in the best neighborhood 
and they make it brand new. They transform it. And so you get to see the demolition that they do and building new kitchens and, and new bedrooms and bathrooms and all this stuff, and it's decorated. And what they do is when this couple who bought this home comes back, they have this giant picture of what the house that they bought looked like, and then they kind of split it apart, and then there's this brand new transformed house, and they get all emotional, and they're crying, and it's this big moment and all this other stuff. And it's just this really cool thing to be able to see how this, this fixer-upper has been made new. And what Paul, I think, is telling, telling us as Christ followers and what he's telling those in Ephesus, Ephesus at this time is, hey, you're a new person. You've been changed, renewed. You've been made new again. That you are no longer the fixer-upper that you were at one time, but you are like the new house. You're the new creation. That there's a new you. And so maybe you're thinking, hey, how do I start that new you? Like, like I have this relationship with Jesus, and, but, I, but I don't feel like a new version of myself. I feel like I still have struggles that I'm kind of going through. And I think Paul answers that with, with for us. He tells us here that it starts with our minds. It starts with your mind. And I think what he's saying here is to think in new and right ways as you meditate on the truth of God's word. In other words, Paul is saying, look, you've got to study the word of God. You've got to jump into the Bible you got to not only read it, but you got to study it. Even if it's just start with a little bit at a time. But man, it is jumping into the Bible, asking questions, looking for the context of those passages, doing searches on different topics, using things like study Bibles or version or Blue Letter Bible. Like, I mean, as a church, North Point, we would love to help you. If you're like, hey, where do I start in the Bible? How do I get more into this? How do I get more out of it? Man, we would love to send resources your way. Hit us up on the Connect card. We would love to help that because we recognize that it starts with the renewing of your mind. That it's this allowing what you get from studying the Bible to change how you see the entire world in new ways. So when we have this relationship with Jesus, the first thing that we get is you get a new you. And then Paul goes on uh, to tell us that the next thing that we have is because of this new you, we begin a new life, a new life. And in verse 25, really through the end of the chapter here, Paul gives examples of how this, this new you should live this new Life, And he says in verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, in other words, having gotten rid of that fixer-upper, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Paul uses that word therefore. In other words, it's connecting this new you with what he's talking about here, this new life. And he says, look, because you are a new you, be different. Be different so that other people can see this new you. Be different than you were before. Verse 26, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And the first thing that Paul begins to talk about with us, new you, living this new life, is this idea of anger. And if I'm being honest today, man, this is personal for me. Anger is one of the things that, man, I, I struggle with because when things don't go the way that I feel like they should go, when things don't go the way that I want them to go, man, I deal with anger. I can feel it inside of me, that frustration, that anger that begins to come up. And I am constantly have to keep that in check. And I constantly have to ask forgiveness because of this inside of me. And the truth is that there is some anger is justified. 
Like when we see injustice in the world, when we see pain in the world, these are times that should cause righteous anger to be inside of us. In fact, Paul says it's okay to be angry. He says be angry here. Like it's okay to have emotions. It's okay to have feelings. So some anger is justified. But he says be angry and sin not. In other words, anger is justified at times. But sin never is. Our reaction to that anger, what we do as a result of that inside of us, is what we have to keep in check. And this is the first thing that Paul begins to tell us for this new life. In fact, he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, you've got to learn to deal with your anger or it will deal with you. Deal with your anger or the devil will use it as an opportunity to deal with you. He goes on to verse 28. He says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. See, Paul gives us this example of the thief, and I don't really think this is about stealing as much as I think he's using the thief as an example of repentance. I think what Paul's talking about here is this idea of repentance, that repentance actually requires both a stop and a start. In other words, you're going one direction and you stop and you actually take the opposite path. You start going the opposite way that you stop being about you. For the thief, it was taking what they wanted and instead you start being about loving God and loving others. That repentance requires stop being about you and start being about God and start being about other people. And we see that because he tells us here that the thief works so hard to share with those in need. In other words, this shows us that a new life, that the new you living a new life is centered around God and is centered around others when we begin to recognize true repentance that has taken place inside of us. Verse 29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. The word corruption here, he's talking about this idea of, of destruction, of decay, of rot. In fact, the word, the Greek word here, uh, sepros, is used uh, earlier in Matthew chapter 13, verse 48, to describe bad fish. Bad fish here. Like, that's the image of corrupt talk that Paul is giving us here. It's like bad fish coming out of your mouth when we say bad things, when we talk bad things. And what he's trying to tell us is, hey, look, don't let that stank come out of your mouth, okay? Like, don't let the bad fish or or that destruction come out of your mouth, but instead use what you say to build up, to give grace to others. And a good test for that is is to ask yourself, hey, is what I'm talking about, is what I'm saying, and does it benefit other people? Is there benefit to what I'm talking about? Or, man, am I just throwing out anchovies right now? Am I just throwing out bad fish? Or am I building up? Does what I say build up and help other people? Verse 30 goes on and says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted." forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Man, Paul tells us right here, he says, man, don't break God's heart by how you treat other people. In other words, man, care, care. 
that a new you, because of Jesus, living a new life, should care about the effect you have on others. You should care about the other people that are around you. Man, get rid of the bitterness. Get rid of the anger and the wrath. And instead, man, be kind and forgiving, just like Jesus was forgiving to you and me. As we jump into uh, chapter 5 here, uh, we see that there's this new you and this new life that we live all because of what Jesus has done inside of us. And so uh, Paul begins to tell us here uh, in chapter 5 that this new you and this new life is all a result of a new love that has occurred inside of you. That the motivation, the reason for all of this is new love. He says the first couple verses of chapter 5, he says, Therefore be imitators of God. As beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Man, I don't think it's any coincidence that in this little section right here, the form of love is used three different times. Man, we are called beloved. We are told to be loving, just like Jesus showed sacrificial love for us. That when it comes to living this new life as a new you because of Jesus, man, the motivation is love. The motivation is love. It's not obligation. It's not achievement. It's not fear. But rather it is a love for God and for others. He uses the phrase here, uh, imitators as beloved children. See, as much as uh, your kids probably don't want to admit it, uh, the truth is, they act like you. Like, they watch mom and dad. They begin to have the same mannerisms that you have, or the same phrases that you have, or how they talk to people, or the things that they care about, has to line up with some of the things that you care about, some of the things that you do. They are little imitators of you. And if we're being honest with ourselves, we've done the same thing with our parents. We are imitators of our mom and dad as well. Uh, there's a common joke uh, in our family that my mother-in-law and my wife are practically the same person. You know, you've heard the phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Well, in our family, we say that when it comes to, to Pat and Ashley, man, it just hit the ground and bounced right back up. Like they'll be talking or doing something and I'll look at my father-in-law and we'll just kind of shrug and go, apples and trees, right? Like they're just the same person at times and it's become a joke in our family. But the truth is, man, we are told by Paul to be imitators as beloved children. In other words, now that we've been adopted into the family of God because of Jesus, now that we are a child of God, love like dad loves. Love like your heavenly Father loves. That we have this new love inside of us. Paul goes on here uh, in verse 3 all the way through 14, and he's kind of given instructions on what holy living should look like. I mean, think of this as like very practical advice on how a new you should live your, your new life because of this new love inside of you. And he starts here in verse, uh, verse 4. He says, Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. See, what Paul's talking about here is this idea of our speech. Our speech. And he kind of gives a call back to, to verse, uh, to chapter 4, verse 29, when we talked about that whole fish thing here. He's talking about that here again, and he's saying, look, whatever you say, like, don't let it, don't let it be like bad fish or, or smell bad. Like, let it, let it build up. 
Let it make a difference. And he uses a word here that I think is so intentional. Paul uses the word thanksgiving. See, Paul talked uh, just before this in verse 3 about this idea of, of coveting, or this jealous longing for what other people have. And he says that the way that you deal with that in your life is by encouraging, he encourages us, he tells us to speak with thanksgiving or to have a joyous contentment for the things that we have. And I think the reason Paul tells us to speak with thanksgiving is that whenever we speak what we are thankful for, man, it begins to renew our minds. Remember we just talked about that a little bit ago. This renewing of our minds away from the envy and instead transforms us to joyous contentment. That the more we talk about the things that we're thankful for, the more we genuinely become thankful for those things. Instead of worrying about what we don't have, we begin to celebrate what we do. He goes on in verse 5. He says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Paul is talking here, giving some advice uh, when it has to do with sexual purity right here. And the Greek word uh, porneia uh, means sexual immorality. And basically it includes everything outside of sex between a husband and wife. And I think Paul tosses the word covetous in again here on purpose. I think Paul is trying to get to the point that, hey, the grass really isn't always greener on the other side of your marriage when it comes to sex. I think Paul is telling us that we live in a world like recognizing that it has normalized sexuality to basically be anything that we want to define it to be. And Paul wants to encourage us, encourage us not to believe that lie, that you're missing out, that right? there's a better way, or that our feelings get to dictate what is truly best for us. Man, Paul is pointing out that by believing those lies, by believing those things, man, we miss out on the kingdom of God meaning experiencing right now a piece of what God's plan is and a fulfillment that is only going to be fully redeemed when Jesus comes back one day, but we get a piece of that when we trust in God's plan for our marriage. Paul is telling us uh, again in verse 6 and 7, he goes on to talk about this. He says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. I think Paul is talking about this idea of associations here. Associations. Who is it that you're hanging out with? Who is it that you're partnered together with? He uses the phrase here, sons of disobedience in verse 6. And this Hebrew-inspired Hebrew inspired phrase was for people who habitually lived in sin and just didn't care. They knew what was wrong. They knew it was bad, and yet they didn't care. They just did it again and again and again because they wanted to. And Paul tells us in verse 7, hey, don't partner with these people. Now, he doesn't say to avoid them, and he doesn't say to cast them off. He says, don't partner. What is a partner? Say, a partner is someone that you are in agreement with toward achieving something. Like we have partners in business, we have teammates. We have partners in our relationships. Like We have these partnership people that we are joining together with towards maybe a financial goal uh, or, or an achievement of some kind or a relational goal, things that we want to achieve. Those are who we partner together with. Uh, we tell students all the time in student ministry, we say, hey, your best friends, not your only friends, but your best friends should be Christ followers. 
And that's not because we want to disregard other people, like not your only friends, but your best friends should be Christ followers. And that's simply because we become like the people that we hang out with. No matter what age we are, who you associate with, who you are hanging out with, who you're spending your time with, who you're investing in, you become like that person. That's why we believe life groups are so incredibly important. Because you need a community of people that is going to push you to pursue a deeper and more intimate relationship with God through Jesus. You need people who are going to speak truth into your life. People that are going to pick you up when you're down. People that are going to put you on a life to a new you. Living a new life because of a new love. He goes on in verse 8. He says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. This is Paul just reiterating that idea that, man, you are not that guy anymore. That is Christ follower, you are not that guy anymore. You are a new you. You are living a new life because you have a new love inside of you. He goes to verse 11. He says, take no part in the unfruitful work of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. See, when we read all throughout the Bible, we see that justice matters to God. And I think that's what Paul is talking about here. It's this idea of justice in the world. That caring for those who can't care for themselves for those who have, who have been taken advantage of, that as Christ followers, as those that have been made new, we are to be a light that exposes that darkness and that injustice inside of the world. When, when I say injustice, I don't mean like your rights as an American, but rather I mean standing up for those who have basic human rights as image bearers of God. That we know from Genesis that all humankind was created in the image of of God. And as that, we have basic human rights that some people want to take advantage of and hurt other people. And as Christ followers, people that have been made new, that are striving to live a new life and have this new love inside of us, man, when we see injustice, man, it should well up some righteous anger inside of us to do something about it, to expose that injustice and to make change for those who cannot change for themselves. Paul goes on at the end of verse 14. And he kind of wraps this up with this saying here. He says, Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. See, this, this particular uh, type of verse is not found in any Old Testament uh, passage, but rather it's kind of like a paraphrase of several passages, which is kind of why Paul says, it says, like the Old Testament says. And what he's doing here is he's, he's giving a call to wake up Christ's follower. In other words, be a new you. And he says, arise from the dead. In other words, have new life. And he says, and let Jesus shine on you. In other words, show a new love in the world. See, we, we love having new things. Whether it's a new phone, whether it's replacing something that we've used for way too long that's broken with something that is new and works better. And as Christ followers, you become a new you with a new life because of a new love that motivates you. And all that adds up to a power inside of you that not only changes you, but can have an incredible impact on the world around you. So my question for you this week 
is in the midst of a world that has been put on pause. What's new with you? When death was arrested and my life began. When death was arrested and my life began. When death was arrested and my life began.